Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. As a church, we have been going through a sermon series on prayer. And I can tell you that the feedback from this has been outstanding. Many of us took up the call and the challenge to go on a 21-day fast. Some people literally just took liquids for 21 days. Others had a modified fast. Some people fasted food along with social media, maybe television, entertainment. Some people just kind of brought back their diet a little bit, didn't eat any sugar or something along those lines. But I want to say this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for those of you that felt the call of God to participate in that fast. Others of us, I know, it was the first time you'd ever heard of fasting and prayer, and it was newer to you, and uh, we'll be doing another fast most likely later on this year, but I believe it's a good place to start. Now, in line with this sermon series on prayer, what we're going to do this morning is have what we call God Story Sunday. God Story Sunday is the Sunday where we approach a few people here at City where God has done something tremendous in their lives over the past several months. And as part of the sermon this morning, actually the bulk of the sermon will be these stories that one couple and then one lady whose husband can't be here with her this morning is going to be sharing about what God has done in and through their lives. Now, before we get to that, though, I wanted to make uh, something that is going to be a lot of fun. I want to make an announcement, and that is is that next Sunday morning is Super Bowl Sunday, where the Eagles are going to win. Now, the Green Bay Packers should have been there. But in honor of Super Bowl Sunday, next Sunday morning, what we're going to do is, I'm going to ask you to wear whatever sports uniform you want. If you don't have one, you can go out and buy a Green Bay Packers sweatshirt, and you can wear that. I was raised on a farm in Wisconsin, and I'm a Packers fan. But if you're a UVA fan, you could wear a UVA shirt. The only thing I do want to say, if you are a Duke fan, no. That's not allowed. And uh, because we don't want the devil in church can't help you with that. But uh, so next Sunday morning, if you're an athlete at UVA, if you're into a, it could be an ice hockey team, doesn't matter. Just wear whatever uniform you would like to wear or sweatshirt or shirt that kind of gives a shout out to your team. And then again, the Eagles will be winning. So that's going to be exciting. Now, when we look towards the idea of prayer in God's Story Sunday, Here's what I want to say at the outset. The Bible is a compilation of story that teaches us what it looks like when God reaches out to humankind. Those stories also teach us what it looks like when humankind reaches out to God. But if you're sitting here and you know God has done something in your life, your story becomes an irrefutable evidence for the reality of God. You're going to hear some incredible stories about God setting people free this morning. 
But it is impossible for someone to walk up to one of these three people and say, oh, no, 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 it didn't happen. When God does something in your life, the call is simple. Thank God for it and tell others. And that's why we have God's Story Sunday. Now, in line with this, we have been processing through this 21 days of fasting and prayer. Many people have reached out and said, Pete, you can't believe what God has done during this time. I do want to say, as the lead pastor here at City, I often pray for a personal um, understanding of what God wants from me from 2018 as well as the City Church family. And that word is very simple, and normally they're somewhat different. This year it's the same, and the simple word is health. 2018 is a time to get healthy. To get healthy personally, meaning relationally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, whatever that looks like, moving towards health, taking those steps that need to be made in order to get healthy, and we're doing the same here at City Church. Here's why. When it comes to churches, healthy things grow. Healthy things have impact. Healthy things multiply. And so City Church is going to be focusing on health. But I can tell you this, as a follower of Jesus, it is impossible to get healthy in any sphere of our life without prayer. Because I know that even in the realm of physical, the end of last year, I felt deeply convicted about my own physical health, and so I went on a fast that was specific for health. But you know, without God's help, I know that I would have never done what I felt called to do. Prayer is such an integral part of getting healthy spiritually, emotionally, physically, and relationally. And so this morning as we look at prayer, I want to bring a simple devotional thought before you meet these people that are going to come up and share their story. And I want to utilize the most profound answer to prayer, the most profound move of Jesus on another person in the entire New Testament. And it's the story of where Jesus heals the demoniac on the shores of Galilee. It's a story that brings together a bunch of prior stories. What I mean by that is, is if you were to read the Gospel of Luke, Luke is a physician, and you will notice that there are more stories about physical healing and emotional healing than there are in the Gospel of Luke than there are in the other Gospels. I believe that Dr. Luke, as a physician, was fascinated by what Jesus could accomplish through the laying on of hands and through prayer. But the healing of the demoniac is a powerful story because if you were to read in the Gospel of Luke, you would discover that Jesus up until that point has done some incredible things. And the way Dr. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes his gospel, there's a miracle that kind of begins this trajectory of Jesus healing and setting people free. And the apex, sort of the peak of that trajectory, is the healing of the demoniac. Before that, Jesus has raised someone or brought someone back to life that was dead. Jesus has delivered someone of demonic, of demonic oppression and possession. Jesus has also done some other miracles, and one of the profound miracles happens just prior to this one. Jesus and his disciples, he's ministering on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee from where the demoniac lives. 
And Jesus tells his disciples we're going to get into a boat, and as they get into the boat, the Gospel of Luke tells us that a squall hits. Now, almost all of the disciples, the 12, are fishermen. They're seamen. That's what they do. And in the midst of that trip to the other side of the shore, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, it says a squall comes up that's synonymous with a windstorm that would be similar to a tornado. And as that thing comes over the Golan Heights and comes ripping down over the Sea of Galilee, his disciples are panicking, and he's asleep in the bow of the boat, and they're screaming, we're going to die, we're going to die. And these are men who were born on the sea, they were raised on the sea, they're fishermen, and this storm has a total different feel to it. So one of the disciples wakes up Jesus and says, Jesus, we're going to die, and he stands up in the boat, and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And when he does, it becomes like a sea of glass. And the disciples exit that episode by saying this, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this? That question is answered by a demon-possessed person in the next story. You see, in the setting free of the demoniac, the Bible tells us that this man is a man who is demon-possessed. We find out from one of the other Gospels that he has an entire legion of demons that have inhabited his soul. In the Gospel of Luke, if you were to read it, we're not going to read much of the text this morning for the sake of time. But if you were to read it, you would find out that this man is absolutely tormented. He is naked. One of the other Gospels tells us that he lives among the dead. He has created a place of housing as a homeless man, and he is living in the cemetery there on the side of the hill. He's living in the tombs. Not only that, the Scripture tells us that because of this oppression and possession that he takes rocks and he cuts himself. In modern-day vernacular, he is a cutter. He is tormented. The Scripture tells us and alludes to the fact that he, he does have people that love him, but he's completely lost control of his life. And because of that, he lives in isolation, but they had tried to shackle him to put chains on him, but that demonic strength allowed him to burst out of the chains, and they had tried to keep him from harming himself and others, but they could not contain him. And so now he lives among the dead, literally. He is a person that embodies all of the struggles and all of the troubles of the human life. He is a man that lives among the dead. He is a man that is demon-possessed. He is a man that is filled with loneliness and dysfunction and self-destructive behavior. All of human ills that Satan has planned for us is found in him. But then he, on the shores of Galilee, meets the one in whom all of God's plans for us resides. And these two titans come together on the shores of Galilee. And as these two men meet, the Bible tells us that the question 
that the disciples were asking as the storm ceased to rage when Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves and that sea became a sea of glass. They had asked this question, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him. Well, as the demoniac approaches Jesus, he answers the question for the disciples. And he says this, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The disciples hear the answer to their question is that one man who's filled with everything the enemy wants for us meets the man who is filled with everything that God wants for us. And instantly, Satan's plan submits to God's plan. The enemy of our soul who has possessed this man admits defeat. And here we find in this story, we find Jesus squares off with this man. And in doing so, the Bible tells us that Jesus rebukes the demons that are in him. Then the passage gets very odd. The demons realizing that Jesus alone outranks them, has more power than them, and putting it this way, has more spiritual authority than all of them put together. They make an odd request of Jesus, and that is, please, Jesus, don't send us to the abyss, but can we inhabit these pigs, these swine that are on the side of the hill? And the Bible says that the demons leave this man and they inhabit 2,000 pigs. And the pigs run down that steep slope from the Golan Heights down there into the Sea of Galilee. And 2,000 swine plunge into the sea and they're drowned. You see, Jesus, when he crossed the Sea of Galilee, goes from where the Jewish people live to where the Gentile people live, and he performs this miracle among the Gentiles. There's almost no doubt at all that this demoniac is a Gentile. He is a non-Jew. I want you to picture this. Jesus meets him, and he never says to him, how did you become like this? He never says to the man, how in the world did you let this happen? He never mentions anything about that. Jesus just moves in authority to set him free. And the man is free. Now here's what I know. When we read this story, there are many of us that are sitting here, are listening to this story, and even though our hearts go out to the demoniac, we think to ourselves, boy, this is a great story that's found in Scripture, but <laughs> good thing is, I don't have his problem. He is a disaster. My life is only 10% a disaster. And he, he's 100% a disaster. Thank God I'm not like him. Let him go to Jesus. I'll keep my seat. But the reason why three Gospels, now get this, three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all upload the same story. Why? Because you need to know it. All three Gospels bring to us the story of Jesus healing the demoniac. And here's why. It's the most profound thing Jesus does in his healing deliverance ministry. It's this guy. 
Now, again, we're sitting there going, wow, he's really a mess. I've only got part of that, and I'm good. The reason why the story is here, because if God can set him free through Christ, he can set you free from your 10%. That's why it's here. It's not so that we can sit here and feel better about ourselves. It's because we begin to understand in faith through God's Word that if this story is true, then Jesus can help me too. That's why it's there. Here's what I know. Some of us, when we think about health, relationally, emotionally, or spiritually, what we need to do is we need to tweak a few things. I know this. Not all of us need to have some huge move of God in our life. We're a few degrees off and we know it, and while you're sitting here, you know it. And that's why here at City Church on the night of February the 10th, I'll be providing a course called The Five Love Languages for those of us who are married, going to be married, ever have been, will be loved. There's an incredible guy who's discovered what's called the five love languages, and maybe you've been through it before. That's fine. We're going to have a dessert time over at City Church Central on the night of February the 10th, and I'll be facilitating about an hour and a half little workshop that'll give us some tools in order to help us to do marriage and love better. How many of us know we need help in that area? All right, how many of you are married? Raise your hand. What I also know, though, is some of us are really struggling. I know this. It's not a little adjustment we need. It's an overhaul. And because of that here at City Church, we're heightening prayer. None of this happens without prayer. None of it. If you could have done it in your own strength, you would have already done it. But that's why we're also offering soul care at City Church. We've had 125 people already go through soul care. We have 90 that are going through it either on Monday night or Wednesday night, about 45 in each class. And I want to offer something that I've never really done before. I know the first week is done and gone, but if you would like to join in on soul care, either Monday night or Wednesday night, we'll make room for you. Because I know that some of us don't just need to learn five love languages or be reminded of some healthy things in our life. Some of us need to really take an in-depth look at who we are because the trajectory of our life is heading off course and we know it. And so I want to encourage you, get healthy in 2018. And if you'll take a step towards God, I know he'll meet you and he'll empower you in doing this. But here's a concern that I have. My concern is this, is that some of us in our lives, in our relationship with God or relationships with people, in our own emotional health, in the health of our own soul, some of us have become content with far less than what God has for us. Maybe you came out of a family that operated a certain way, and even though you know it's not help, healthy, you just look at how you operate in relationships, and you just kind of go, well, you know what? It's how I was raised. Others of us know that there's things that have happened to us or things we've done to others in our life that we've just kind of pushed subterranean, and we're trying to ignore it. We really don't want to deal with it, and so we just kind of push it to the side. The problem is, is it always shows up again, always. My concern is, again, 
that some of us have sort of capitulated and said, well, this is how life is. It's going to how life's going to be. My prayer is, is that by the end of God's Story Sunday, that you would be encouraged to begin to approach God with those areas of your life with a fresh and a new zeal and trust in Him. The next thing is, some of us are in relationships. They're not bad, but they're stuck. They're not what they should be, but it's not like you cry in your coffee over them every morning either. And yes, I am alluding to marriage. I think at times we can just simply resign to certain things in marriage, and my goal is, my prayer is, is that in 2018 we will take a look at our marriages or if we're moving towards marriage or family relationships or whatever it might be, and we would say to God, this is a year where I want to get unstuck. I want to get unstuck. I love the story of the demoniac. Because however this guy was able to do it, he got himself to the feet of Jesus. He got there somehow, and his life was never the same. The first God story that we're going to have is from Jason and Kelly Baker. So I'm going to ask the Bakers if they'll come up here and join me on stage. They're going to come up and share their story about what God has done. Let's give them a warm welcome as they come. Can you guys go be seated? It's the wrong order. You guys go down there. <laughs> Veronica, come on up here. Sorry about that. Hi, Veronica. Everyone say good morning, Veronica. Good morning. So Veronica is going to uh, share a story about what the Lord has done in her life. And how long have we known each other? Seven years. Seven years. You could smile a little more when you I'm say like, that. I'm like, wow, this just... is my seven-year anniversary at City Church. It's really exciting. Good deal. Yeah. Good to hear. And so I know that um, you've kind of got a story about your life and your journey with the Lord. And if you could take just about 90 seconds and kind of give us the trail on that up into the time where you were sort of moving into City Church and what the Lord's been doing since you've been part of our church, and then we'll move towards soul care after that. Sure. Um, so I was saved when I was 16. Um, I was raised Catholic. Um, dare I say I'm a recovered Catholic. Um, and uh, got very involved with my church um, as a teenager and uh, I was a professional ballet dancer, so I came out of my um, training at 17 and decided I needed to take a break from dance and figure out if that was what I wanted to do with my life. So I moved out and started supporting myself. And when I was 18, um, I was raped. Um, so I kind of, my life kind of fell off the rails at that point. Um, I stopped going to church. I started... Um, abusing substances and just kind of stopped caring about myself. Um, <clears throat> and right about the time I was 21, my sister started bringing me, bringing me back to church with her. 
and um, started a little bit of my journey with um, redemption through the Lord. And he really started to move and work in my life. Um, and uh, so through my 20s, I went through wonderful amounts of therapy and um, really tried to tackle that trauma and felt pretty strong in having really yep. overcome what that was. Um, and I moved to San Diego, became a part of a huge church there, and then I moved back to Charlottesville, and I found City Church um, back in 2011 and got involved with a wonderful um, women's small group, and that really started to facilitate some more healing in my life. Um, and since then, my journey with City Church has really changed my life, honestly. Um, I've been baptized here. Pete officiated my, my marriage seven months ago. Um, we actually have a picture of that. <laughs> okay. <so> Maybe. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but then uh, you began to hear about soul care. And by the way, this mm -hmm. is Seth. That's Seth, my husband. Seth is, what, in Pennsylvania with his family he this is, weekend. He is, So he couldn't be here, but... You know, don't tell him I said this, but we got the better half anyway, so we thought we would go ahead even though Seth couldn't be here. And so you ended up coming to City, and then um, I know Seth heard about soul care. Yes. So um, Seth had gotten um, involved in a great small group. Um, we love our small group. We're in the web small group. Um, woo! <laughs> um, so Seth got involved with um, soul care, I guess, about a year ago. He did, yes. And um, was radical, like just the Lord set his heart on fire. He would come home every week and he was like, you have no idea how awesome this is. This is so cool. And he would share as much as he could share and he'd be like, you need to go. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so at that point also we were going through premarital counseling through City Church and we were deal just dealing with a lot of spiritual oppression leading up to our marriage. And um, for Freedom Weekend, which is like the, the end of the soul care, um, Seth and I had been praying together um, that he would be released from some things. And uh, I was sitting at home in my chair that's very similar to this, praying for him. And um, I had my eyes closed and I just felt the Holy Spirit come into our home and this amazing sense of peace filled our home. And it was, it was like I could sense that he was going through this radical change and he came home a different person. And I was like, okay, I think I need to do this. And I was kind of freaked out by it, honestly, at first. Um, it does involve a lot of vulnerability and um, sharing. And um, they use the metaphor of unpacking the suitcase of your soul. And I had a lot of junk in my suitcase that I didn't really want to unpack. I'd done a really good job of pushing it subterranean. And, sure. you know, as Pete just said, you know, it kind of kept popping up. And I'd been through all this therapy and it been really lovely, but um, when we were on our honeymoon in Greece, I had a God encounter, and the Lord was like, I really want you to do this. So I signed up, and uh, each week it felt um, a little bit easier, honestly, getting to know the people in my group a little bit better and um, digging deeper into unpacking that suitcase. Um, but what came with Freedom Weekend for me was something that I never got from any therapy or even from really getting prayed over just walking down front in church. Um, it was a freedom from afflictions like anxiety and fear. 
um, and anger and terror that I just was used to living with. I thought it was normal. I was like, well, I have generalized anxiety disorder, so I suppose this is just how I'm supposed wow. to live. Right. And um, after that Freedom Weekend, it was gone. It was, it was actually eerie that my thoughts were quiet. Wow. Um, that I could be alone in my house and not feel afraid. Um, so that was soul care. That was pretty life-changing and radical. Good deal. So um, how are things with you and Seth now? Awesome. <laughs> we're, we're great. Um, I wish he could be here today, but um, he's with family in Pennsylvania. I'm going to drive up and join him later. Uh, we have a baby on the way. Do you want to stand um, up and prove it? Turn sideways? <laughs> you know, um, before you exit the stage, I know that one of the things that you discovered in soul care is that the stuff that had happened in the generations prior to your family no longer has to move towards that child. That was, that was huge. Um, there was a, a generational um, affliction in my family of sexual assault. All of the women in my family, my grandmothers, aunts, <clears throat> my, my sister, my mother, all of us have suffered from sexual assault in varying degrees from minor harassment to the worst case scenario. Um, and that was broken. And there was also um, a, a deep spirit of anger um, from my father's side of the family that seemed to just keep trickling down through the generations. And um, with that Freedom Weekend, it really felt like both of those curses and afflictions were just completely broken and taken away. And I have absolutely no doubt that our son is not going to have to deal with those things. So. Amen. Good deal. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. God bless you. Let's give Veronica a hand. Thank you, Veronica. I know it takes some bravery to get up front and share some of that story, but how many of you sitting here are thankful for her testimony and her God story? I know that I am. So when I think about the story of the demoniac, what I know is, is that there was a spiritual affliction that was on him. The Bible's clear. This was an individual who was demon-possessed. Again, the Bible never tells us how that happened, how that had access to his life. And yet the Scripture is very clear about him being demon-possessed and then being freed up by the authority of Jesus over the enemy of his soul. There's also something else that little doubt happened. And that is, is that the Scripture tells us that at the end of his encounter of Jesus, he is sitting at the feet of Jesus and he is clothed and in his right mind. And the scripture tells us if you were to look in Luke chapter 8 that those people that knew him were absolutely freaked out by his transformation. They couldn't believe it. And in combination with 2,000 of the swine having been drowned and him being categorically and fundamentally a different person, they came to Jesus and asked Jesus to leave their area. They asked him to exit. Please leave. 
But if you were to look at the demoniac, one of the things you would discover is that the encounter he had with Jesus not only set him free spiritually, but it had set him free so that he had the freedom in Christ now to be freed up to relate to other people and to be in relationship. Now I'm going to ask that Jason and Kelly Baker would come back up. This is deja vu all over again. And as they come forward, they too have a powerful story about what Christ has done in their family. And so can you play, please say hello to Jason and Kelly. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. And so um, the two of you have had Christ do something amazing in your home. And so I'm going to begin with you, Jason. Kind of tell us a little bit about how you met, a little bit about your background. So go ahead and bring us up to speed on that. Sure. So um, I'm from California. I came to UVA for grad school. Uh, Kelly and I met. We were both involved in um, Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship at UVA. Come on now. (laughs) And so we met through that, and um, uh, Kelly started uh, dropping hints, showing interest in me. Of course, I was clueless, you know. Were you really? Right over the head. And, uh, you know, her... Kelly, give me five. (laughs) Well done. There you go. She started, you know, giving me, you know, some gifts and some care packages. I still was clueless. Uh, Eventually, though, you know, I think... He thought I liked his roommate. Yeah, I did. But eventually, I think through the Holy Spirit, I I came to my senses. And um, so we we got married. Um, Kelly joined staff with Chi Alpha. I work at Northrop Grumman here in town. Um, We were coming to City Church throughout our time at UVA. Um, So I think it's been about 14 years since we've been coming here. And um, uh, we now lead a life group. Uh, I'm on the worship team. We have three kids. Uh, They're uh, six. Annalise is six. Uh, Clark is five, and Leo is two. So they keep us busy. I'm sure they do. Don't they have the look of keeping them busy? (laughs) So, Kelly, I know that um, what the Lord's done in your family in some ways focuses on your life. And so if you could kind of share with us about the struggle you had, it involves those three children to some extent, your marriage, your family. And so if you could kind of share with us what the struggle has been in your life. Yes. Um, so since I was 16, I had struggled with migraines. And um, when I came to college at UVA, I um, realized that they were stress-related because they would come twice a year during finals. <laughs> so I realized that they were stress-related, and um, I could always manage them, and I've learned to manage them, exercise, prayer, um, eating right. Um, but they got kept, started getting a lot worse and a lot more frequent and really debilitating. So about this time last year, I was at a place where I was um, struggling to even come to church. Um, Each day I was either getting a migraine or feeling a migraine coming on. And for those of you, like how many of you guys have ever struggled with a migraine that know what I'm talking about? Or, you know, you know, I know what it feels like. And so I'm managing it and trying to manage it as, as I had for decades. But it was becoming to a place where I was, every day, I was having to figure out what, I, how I was going to do this. Um, I mostly stayed at home with my kids. I had three kids. Um, I had just had my third. He is um, 
a blessing, but he is a handful. And <laughs> so I was talking to my doctors. I was going to the chiropractor. I was getting massages, and all this stuff was adding up to our in our budget. And we hadn't um, didn't know how to deal with this day to day. And they were all telling me it's stress related. We can tell it's in your neck. It's in your shoulders. I'm saying, what am I supposed to do? I'm a stay-at-home mom with three kids who I don't have, like, a job. Like, do I give one of my kids away? You know, <laughs> how do I manage this stress? And um, it was coming to the point where I was calling him, texting him almost daily, telling him he was having to miss work. I was t- we're involved in a life group here, and I was my life group was stepping in, helping with my kids. My neighbors were picking my kids up from school because a lot of the times I'm in my room trying to get the pounding in my head to stop. So Jason, how did her migraines affect you guys, your relationship? And I mean, it was, like she said, it was a daily, how are we going to manage Kelly's stress? So it, it kind of overtook how we planned every day, you know, just to make sure that her anxiety and her stress didn't get to a level where she would have to, where she would get a migraine. So we'd have to be careful about what we did, how much activity we did, what we did with the kids. It was just a constant, kind of a, a low level, just... It was there all the time, managing this thing in a relationship. So. so, Kelly, share with us what happened. Right. So this time last year, we were invited to go to Soul Care. And you sense a theme here, right? Um, and then there also was another component to my story, which was the women's retreat. Um, so we were starting Soul Care about this time last year. And I really went into it saying, okay, Lord, I, I had done deliverance things. I had done books. I had done freedom things in the past. But I was like, I'm in a place where, like, Lord, if there is a spiritual component to this, is there something un- causing this, help me see, right? Let me be free from this. Please let me see this. And so I went into the women's retreat and um, soul care thinking through this. So um, one thing that really started opening my eyes was that um, during the women's retreat, Ingrid was the speaker, and she's also involved in soul care. And she was talking about four basic fears. And there was one fear that's called the fear of failure which the way she described it was a different way. I'd never heard it before. Um, Normally, the fear of failure is like a typical UVA student, overachiever, perfectionist, and do everything and all things, right? And um, some of you may agree, you know, fear of failure up there. I I wasn't that normal, even though I was a UVA student. Mine looked different, and Ingrid described it like this. Fear of failure can also look like someone who procrastinates, someone who gives excuses then, of why they don't have, why they are failing, right? Why they're not perfect. Um, someone who also has anxiety when entering a lot of new situations and maybe even avoids them because they're afraid of not succeeding. And that's how it looked like for me. And I was able to identify, I think that there's this fear of failure in my heart and I've been suppressing it and, and kind of rebelling against it my whole life. Um, there's also a component in soul care and in the women's retreat was talking about your family background and I was seeing patterns from my family background from both sides of this traditional sense of fear of failure that I had been suppressing and trying to manage, but not get free from, but just manage it in a different way by procrastinating and excusing it and avoiding a lot of commitments. So um, at the women's retreat, there was a time to be prayed for, and um, two ladies, Victoria Sorensen and um, Diane Ewing, prayed for me, and it was a powerful time. I kind of gave them a little upload of what I just told you, and I said, I think it has to do with this fear of failure, and um, they said, let's pray. So they laid hands on me, they prayed, and we were praying against the fear of failure, praying against the spirit of fear, and literally 
I felt like there was a hand like on my neck like this that was just there all the time. That's what I was living with. And I felt like the hand was let free. And I could feel it go, and I like looked my up, and Vicky looks at me and she goes, did you feel that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and she says, it's gone. And I said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It was powerful. And, and yeah, praise the Lord. So, Jason, what's it been like since then? I mean, I just have to say what, I mean, what Jesus did in Kelly's life has transformed everything about our family, our marriage. Um, it's just, it's completely different. Um, there's, I mean, we have the freedom to, to, you know, not be so worried about it, to do what, um, you know, do things with our kids that we, that, you know, have the freedom to do that. Um, you know, I, I come home, you know, and Kelly's doing things around the house with the kids, you know, where before she would just be in bed, you know, and um, we can get more involved. Kelly's more engaged in our marriage, you know, with our kids. I mean, it's just, it's revolutionized everything about in our home life together. So when's the last time that you've struggled with a migraine? Um, well, since that was in May, April, May, um, I've had only one migraine since then. And they were daily up they until they... And basically almost daily, yeah. So Praise the Lord. anyone could clap at this moment of time and <laughs> thank the Lord for that. Yeah. And just one thing I wanted to say, um, you didn't even know I did this. Can you put up that slide? I felt like the Lord was really giving me something as I was sharing with people this testimony. And in John 10, 10, um, oh, there, it went, in, went away. There, um, it's back. Okay, see, oh, that's not quite it. Let me take that down. That's, that's not John 10, 10. Um, John 10, 10, Jesus said that, that the, t the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's, that's what he's here for, to steal, kill, and destroy. And in my life, the thief is thing. I had my salvation. I was praying. I was really involved with, with, with my, my Christian walk. But the thief was stealing away my day-to-day -day relationship with Jason, my kids, my community, my church life. And the Lord, though, said, he said, I, though, I have come to give you life. And not just life and eternal salvation, but life to the full. And he wanted, and he blessed me with life to the full. And I'm just so thankful for that. And, and identifying, and my part of the story is like, I had people praying for me this whole time with migraines. And I had to identify, though, that it was the thief, and that it was this fear of failure in my life. That's what was keeping, that I had to pray into that. It was like the thief was kind of sneaky about it. And I had to say, no, this fear of failure, that's what it is. I'm going to call that out. And you can no longer slink around and give me migraines and stress. Instead, I'm going to call upon my Lord and Savior, the Good Shepherd, who gives me life and life to the full. Amen. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand. God bless you. Good job. Good job. Wasn't that an incredible story? Now, what I know is some people are sitting here and you're thinking two things. Number one, if I go through soul care, do I have to get up front and tell everyone what God has done? No. We don't want you to get a migraine from stress of having... No, I'm just kidding. No, you don't. But I do want to say this. Some of you are sitting here and you're going, I need a new normal. 
I have put stuff off. I've lowered my standards. I've learned just to suffer as though that's what God's best is for me, and it's not. I believe that this year God is calling people to stand up in faith and to move towards Christ and to be free. Now, in line with this, the Bible tells us that the demoniac went from being bruised and battered, naked, tormented, physically crushed, and spiritually oppressed to where he ends this story by sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What the Gospel of Luke tells us, though, at the end of Jesus' life, he now is beaten and battered and naked. He has separ been separated on the cross from the people that love him. He is there on the tree, and the same way that the enemy of the demoniac soul had gone at him, now all the forces of hell move against Jesus. He now, like the demoniac, is naked, ashamed, battered, bruised, and hanging on a cross. The Bible teaches us clearly that every force the enemy had came against Jesus. Every force he had. But the Bible tells me that Jesus dies. And on Good Friday, Jesus dies, and it looks like the enemy has won. But as the ancient scriptures teach us, and some of the famous church creeds tell us, that Jesus Christ goes down into hell. He goes into Hades. But here's the incredible thing. Because he had never sinned, death could find no entrance into him. Hell could not keep him. Everything that Satan had to throw against him could not hold him down. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead victorious. And he lives above all of that. And he did not do that so that you and I could be defeated again. It's not the purpose for it. But the purpose for what Jesus has done is so that you and I could live in this world. And is this world oppressed? Yes. Is the enemy of our soul real? Yes. But what it means is, is just like Kelly and just like Veronica, if we will actually turn towards Jesus and move towards him, go through some of the tough stuff of dealing with the stuff of my life, that Jesus Christ is the one who can set me free. In your hands, you have the cup for communion. If you do not, I want you to stand with me, but as you stand, please raise your hand, signifying that you do not have the emblems of communion and you want one. If you need help opening up your communion, just turn to your neighbor, ask them for some help. Ushers are now going to begin to move down the aisles. And as you see them come to the bottom and then move towards the front, just wave at them if you do not have the emblems of communion. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. 
When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same physical assault that was placed upon the demoniac was placed upon Jesus. The cutting, the bruising, and the beating of his body. And the Bible teaches us that as we stand before this bread, we are called to remember again what Jesus' body went through for us. So before we partake together, the Bible calls us to be a group of people that check our hearts. Is there anything that's in your heart right now that you need to make right with the Lord? And here's what I mean by that. No matter where you've been or what you've done, if you in this moment confess it to God with a repentant heart, that is the purpose for communion. Do not let, ever let anything keep you from the Lord's Supper because the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remind you of what Jesus has done for you to free you up from yourself. So as you hold the bread with me, let's give thanks. Lord, now we examine our hearts in the present working of your Spirit. We hold up the emblem of your broken body. And as we do, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you suffered. In your body, you suffered. And you bled. And you died for me. Let's partake of the bread together. The Bible goes on to tell us that in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we hold the cup up before the Lord, know this, that the blood of Jesus when it is trusted by faith, not only covers our sin, but removes them forever and forever. Amen. So whatever it is that you've faced in this life, whatever it is that you've done, if we come with a confessing, repentant heart, and we look at this cup and we say, Jesus, I'm asking you that the symbol of your shed blood in faith would be applied to my heart, into my life, into my soul. That as we give thanks for the cup and then drink it together, we know and we are reminded again of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So let's give thanks. Jesus, thank you for this cup. Thank you for your shed blood that has enough potency in it to take care of all of the sin of all of humankind. And in this moment, we come to you as individuals and we acknowledge this cup. And in it, we give you thanks for the forgiveness of sin. We give you praise. Let's drink together. If we could, just for a moment, if you're comfortable doing this, maybe if you're not, that's fine. But if you're comfortable doing this, just lift your hands up in front of you. Let's take a moment to give thanks to God through worship. 
Let's worship him for the movement in Veronica's life and Jason and Kelly's life. Let's give him thanks for movement in our lives. Let's give him thanks for what he has done for us and how he set the demoniac free and he's still setting people free today. Let's worship together. something else. The end of the story of the demoniac is profound. He asks Jesus if he can follow Jesus, and Jesus says, no, 
I want you to go and tell the people what I have done for you. I want to encourage us to be a group of people that go and tell what Christ has done for us. As we conclude our service, the prayer team is coming forward to pray. If you would like to pray by yourself, just come between these two monitors up front. If you would like to have someone pray with you and pray for you, please find one of our prayer teams, move towards them, ask them to pray for you. But now I'd like to conclude with the blessing. I want to encourage you to step towards prayer. Also, if you would like to come to First Connect with us to kind of get to know more about City, you can please just move out of the auditorium to your right and there'll be directions to First Connect. But as we close out our time, let's open ourselves up to the blessing of God. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you his peace. And we pray all of this. We rejoice in all of this in Christ's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's worship together or move towards prayer.